0: I know exactly how you feel. It is a delight to me uh, to hear children, whether they are joyfully making wonderful noises to the Lord or expressing sadness. Uh, These are proper and good things among the people of God. Uh, Well, let's please turn together in your order of worship. You'll find, or I'm sorry, in your Bible, the pew Bible that's in front of you there. Uh, We're looking at Exodus uh, chapter 20. And so if you're new to joining us, we've been walking our way through the uh, Ten Commandments, or as we find them referred to in the scriptures, the Ten Words. Uh, So if you'll turn with me to page um, 61, you'll find them there i'm going to read for us uh, verses 1 to 21 of chapter 20 exodus chapter 20. hear now god's holy and errant word and god spoke all these words saying i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above." the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word. Lord, thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, groping to figure out who you are and how we might please you and what that looks like. But you have lovingly spoken to us as you did here directly to your people. But also, you have spoken to us through your prophets and had them write down those things that you intended, not only for the original audience to hear, but for your people all throughout the generations to hear and to read and to study and to hide in our hearts and to meditate upon, so that that word that you've given us might direct every aspect of our lives, from what we think to what we say and even to what we do, Lord, we confess to you that we do not listen to your word as we should. We we do not submit ourselves fully to it. We neglect so many things. And so now, as we look at what your, your perfect law requires of us and prohibits us from, Lord, we pray that our Our heart's attitude would not be to justify or to to try to make it okay what we're doing that's not according to your word, but rather, Lord, that you would mold us and shape us, transform us, give us ears with which to hear your holy word, that it, it might expose us and lay bare the ways, the many, many ways that we sin against you. And that you would not simply leave us there exposed and shamed. But that you would then allow us to see the fullness of how Christ has forgiven us of these very things. So that we might walk in the ways that you have established for your people to walk in. By the power of your Holy Spirit we pray that you would do this. For it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. In looking at these commandments, we want to look particularly now at this commandment in verse 15 of chapter 20. You shall not steal. We've been seeing how each of these commandments is is connected to the whole of God describing what it means for us to walk in his ways as his people. And thinking about this particular prohibition against theft, I couldn't help but go back over the the incredibly powerful scene uh, in Les Mis's. Now, whether you've seen the the Broadway musical or read Victor Hugo's incredible novel or whether that's all new to you, the the primary piece that I want you to see is how Jean Valjean, the the character who started in the difficulties that Les Mis is talking about by stealing a loaf of bread, not just for himself, but for his sister and her children and was caught and incarcerated. And now Jean Valjean, is, as the, the novel starts, is being released. And as an ex-con, he has to present his papers wherever he goes, showing that, that he's a criminal. And everywhere that he goes to seek shelter, even just a place to sleep for the night, as he's on his way from the prison to the, the city that they've assigned him, a parole agent, where he has to report by a certain date or they'll throw him back into the, the prison. And everywhere he goes, he's, he's turned out. He's, he's met with mockery and violence and jeering. Except that he goes to a priest's home and there is welcomed in and is given food and is given a bed to sleep in and is shown great hospitality in the name of Christ. But knowing that he's not found that kind of reception anywhere else, in the middle of the night he wakes up and steals the silver so that he can have something with which to start a new life. And so he he takes off in the, in the middle of the night and then in the morning, the police have found him and dragged him back to the priest's house. And, and the police there present him to the priest and say, this, this, we've caught him red-handed and this man had the temerity to, to say that you gave him this silver. Ha! To which the priest responds, oh, my dear brother, of course I gave you the silver. But you ran off in such a hurry that you, you neglected to take the candlesticks also. And, and they're worth far more than all the silver put together. And so he takes the candlesticks from the table and sticks them in Jean Javon's bag. And says to the policeman, thank you for your service, but release this man. He's done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jean Valjean and says, you have a new life now. Use it for Christ. What a a beautiful picture of what Exodus chapter 20 verse 15 is telling us. Because remember, the command, you shall not steal, isn't just... They're in a vacuum. It's not just sitting somewhere floating in space by itself, but it's in this context that we've seen where God starts not by saying, If you want to live with me, this is what you must do. But He starts by saying, I, the Lord, your God, have redeemed you, I've brought you out of slavery out of the house of bondage in Egypt, to, to make you my own covenant people. And so in the land of promise, that's, that's a starting place to, to get at the whole of the world, here's how you are to live as my people. Given the context, we might read this, not simply as you shall not steal, but you shall steal no longer because the people that God is addressing are just like us and that's not just something that I'm making up, that's what God's word itself says as 1 Corinthians talks about the, the murderers and thieves I'm sorry, thieves English grammar is troublesome isn't it the, the murderers and thieves, as some of you were. You're not to live that way any longer. Why not? So that you can earn points to get to heaven? No. But because you've been given grace. Understanding this, this role of, of grace and mercy and the law we so often get tangled up there. You, you may have noticed that, that throughout our dealing with the Ten Commandments, I've, I've referred to First and 2 Corinthians a lot. And there's a reason for that. The church in Corinth was, was a church that disregarded the law. They, they thought, oh yeah, we're, we're forgiven all that. And, and so the, the more outrageous we sin, the, the greater God's grace, right? He said, no, man, never be. Whereas the book of Galatians is addressed not to folks like in Corinth who who didn't need to be told a second time to sin. The church in Galatia was much more prone to be Pharisees. Much more prone to, to take the law without grace and so deal with one another without grace. So what we find is not that God wrote one thing to the church at Corinth and a different thing as in contradictory to what he said in Corinth to Galatia. But it's the same gospel applied to people struggling in different ways. And so as we look at this particular commandment, as we've been seeing with each of the commandments, there are things that God prohibits in this and things that God requires in this. But before we can really understand those prohibitions and requirements, we need to see this this context, particularly in this area of property. And it's not just stuff, it's also intellectual property, it's also time, it's it's all of these things, because the first thing that we see in the scripture where God's summarizing all of these things in the Ten Commandments is, is that everything that we have has been given us by God himself that we don't get anything. The, the parents we were born to, the, the family that we grew up in, you know, we, we like to think in New England, well, no, I, I got what I got the old-fashioned way, right? I earned it. And, and who gave you the healthy body with which you could get up every day and prepare for your job and then do your job? Oh, you just manufactured that out of thin air, Right? No, we don't have anything. We don't even breathe without God giving us the air with which to breathe, the lungs with which to breathe, the heart with which to pump the blood. And and on it goes. Everything that we have is God. That's what God himself says. Scripture is clear. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. Sometimes we like to to quote, you know, when we're in a a difficult budget season like we are right now. Right? Well, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, that's that's true, and the scripture says that. But the scripture also says he owns the hills and and the grass that the cows eat and the water that the cows drink and, and the universe in which the planet is spinning on which those thousand hills are located. The the point is is that God owns everything. And that what we find in these ten words is the way in which the, the first four, talking about our relationship directly to God, is then connected to the way that we relate to one another. So the ten words function in the same way as Jesus describing what's the most significant command, what's the most important command. And notice he doesn't answer with just one thing. Jesus, who is God himself, when asked what's the most important command in all of scripture, does not say simply, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your spirit as yourself. He's God. He could have stopped there. But even God himself did not stop there. He says, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, just stop for a minute and consider that that God, who is a jealous God, who will not allow for idolatry, considers our love for one another to be on the same level as our love and faithfulness to God himself. Because you can't have one without the other. All your attestations to how much you love God he considers as bullpucky if you are not loving others. It's just not so. It's not true. Love for God will necessarily include our love for one another. And God continues to push that point home and help us to understand what that means by saying, you shall steal no longer. Yes, before you came to Christ, you stole. You said, no, 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 Pastor. I may have been a non-Christian, but I wasn't a thief. I mean, I had other problems. I had other sins. Oh, so you never stole time from your employer by looking up something on the Internet that you thought, oh, I, I need to remember to order that from Amazon so that, that I, I... Just a second. It will just... 30 seconds and, and, and I'll be done. That 30 seconds isn't yours. You've, you've never stolen a thought. Taken credit for something that wasn't your doing. Left things unsaid. Neglected what was someone else's that you just ran right over. No, every one of us here is a thief, as God describes, Theft we need to understand what the scripture says and how it defines things and then live our lives according to it, the scripture. Because not only does he own all things, but he also determines their distribution. He's the one who's not only given you what you have, but also your neighbor what they have. And we think, have you ever just gotten ticked with God? You know, you you see someone that you know not only doesn't believe in God, but hates him, who speaks horrific things about God. But they've got the job, the trust fund, the car, the lake house, the whatever thing that you desperately would like, and you think, why on earth would God give that person those things and withhold him from you know his people namely me you ever found well look in the psalms and the psalms are filled with exactly that kind of frustration that kind of struggle why is this so? Why do the righteous go without while the unrighteous prosper? It's a struggle. And it's a struggle that this verse in particular is dealing with. In showing us that we are not to continue stealing in any of these ways because everything that anybody has God has given to them. You say, well, what about the, the people who've got it through unjust means? Right? The, the drug dealer in my neighborhood, he certainly didn't get what he got or she got through, through right channels. Well, that, that's true. And, and that's part of the difficulty of us realizing and dealing with God in a fallen world is, is that he allows... Those unjust means to, to bring about incredible blessing. But part of our trust in God is, is that He will use all those things for just purposes. Sometimes He gives people blessings not to be a blessing, but to be a greater curse. Because on the, the last day, they will have to stand before a just and holy God and give an account for, I gave you all of these things. And yet, you cursed my name. You didn't want to have anything to do with me. It it's actually brings about greater accountability. Greater means of punishment. And that's, that's because we need to understand the stuff, whether it's material things or time or resources or abilities. We think of, of time and talent and treasure, all of those kinds of things that, that God alone gives. And to think about them as the scripture teaches us to think about them from a kingdom perspective. See, we tend to think about all of those things in, in terms of us. What I have, what I don't have. And, and most of us are in a place in our, in our Christian journey where we've learned that being a materialist isn't good, right? We've, we've realized that that's not Christian, to, to just care about stuff. But here's the thing, is we have this seemingly limitless ability To do the same wickedness under spiritual guise, right? Well, you know, I'm not saying that that if I won the lottery that I would just get stuff for myself, but but boy, that sure helped the deacons with with our our budget. If if I had a couple of million dollars to to give to the church, because of course that's that's what I'd do. But the funny thing is, is that God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And while we in our daydreams may think Oh, yeah, this is what I'd do. The, the thing to stop and say is, okay, maybe so. But how are you using the resources that he's already given you? If you think, oh, if I had $10 million just drop in my lap, here's what I'd do with it. You know what I would do? Is I'd go back and look at your bank account and see how you go about distributing the funds that he's given you. You say, wait no, that's not fair. I've got bills to pay. L- like, wealthy people don't have bills to pay? I mean, we, we often get into those things because we're not looking at stuff or time or resources from a biblical por- uh, point of view to begin with. You see, God is the one who owns everything, who distributes all things according to his purposes so if we're to understand that and do that rightly biblically we need to recognize the second thing is is that we're stewards of his resources for the purpose of his glory you see that's what Jesus is really about is bringing glory to the father he comes according to the Father's sending him and does everything exactly according to how the Father told him he was to behave, said everything the Father sent him to say in order to accomplish the purpose of what the Father sent him to accomplish. So he goes to the cross for us. and He rises from the dead. And he goes to the right hand of God the Father, ascended above. In all of these things... Jesus was responding to the sending of the Father. And the reality is, is that the Father is the one who has sent us here to Woodstock Vermont. He's the one who's placed us in our home. He's the one who's given us our family and all of these things God has purposed for us to obey him, to live according to his word just as Jesus did. Now, Granted, Jesus is fully God and fully man. But as those who are by faith trusting Christ, we have then been adopted and brought into his family so that we might be about the Father's business. And what is the Father's business? He's building his kingdom. He's making his name glorious throughout all the earth. And so what does it mean for us to steward the resources that he's entrusted to us? Well, what, what is a steward? What does that mean? A steward is someone who has authority or command over certain things. It may be, I know several of you are in property management, right? And you, that may be a, a physical farm or a uh, uh, home or other, other building or other, other things that you're caring for. It may be the, the physical care of mowing the lawn and, and plowing the snow. It may be uh, the upkeep of the, of the building, making sure that the, the roof's not leaking so that the property's not destroyed. Any and all of those kinds of things. You are taking care of something, hopefully, as if it were your own. Well, I wouldn't want my house to be ruined by the the roof leaking. So thinking about and then acting on and doing and saying all of what you do for the care of these resources. Well, that's a picture of what we are called to do and our stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. You say, well, God hasn't entrusted me with very much. Do you remember Jesus talking about those who were given talents not not the ability to sing or that kind of talent but talents is in a weight measure of precious uh, materials and he said one was given a little one was given more and one was given even more and and how did they use those talents well the the faithless servant thought he hasn't entrusted with me with very much this must not be very important So he just buried it in the ground. Whereas the others invested. They took care of seeing an increase from those things that they'd been given. And he talked about, Jesus used that parable to talk about the way that each of those servants, each of those stewards, thought about what or whom? The master how they acted, reflected on their perception of the master that had entrusted them with these things. And we've got to get rid of this unbiblical idea that, well, you know, the, the Rockefellers, they've, they've got a lot of stuff, but I've only got these little things. See, those, those little things are things that the Father has entrusted to your care. He, at least, thinks that they're precious. He thinks that they're valuable and has given them to us to care for. And the way that we care for those things demonstrates not just what we think of the things, but what we think of the master. We're to be stewards of His resources for His glory. That we may not understand how. How does this this little kid who's been entrusted to me by God to to coach them in soccer or lacrosse or, or whatever? What you know? I'm I'm busy. I've got a little time. I'll I'll, I'll spend some time with that kid. Now this is. This is a huge thing that God has entrusted that He's put you in that place where He may use you to be the one that demonstrates to this child that they're valuable, that they're made in the image of God, that that this sport practice isn't simply a, a way to kill a few hours in an afternoon, but is a wonderful means for evangelism and discipleship and care for this child. See, the way that we think about all of those things that have been entrusted to us, instead of us thinking about what's in it for me, what do I gain from this? Or even just what am I able to, to give back? And that's, that's a fine thing. But, but to make it specific to how am I using this opportunity, this opportunity, that God has entrusted to me for his kingdom and for his glory. Turn with me in your scripture. You had it there to look in, in Exodus. I want you to turn to page two, 958. Page 958 in your, in your scripture. We're going to look together at 1 Corinthians. Page 958 in, in the Pew Bible, uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Peter read this earlier, um, or parts of it, I believe. Uh, let, me, let me just uh, go through this quickly. This is 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without right raising any question on the ground of conscience. What is that all about? He's, he's dealing with the customs of that day that you couldn't go down Elm Street here to just a butcher and, and get your meat. To, you know, hey, I'd like some kebabs and a, and a, you know, a thing of ground beef. Right? The, the place where you bought your meat usually was at the temples. And the, the meat that was there for sale was meat that had been sacrificed to the various different idols. And, and so oftentimes that was a hindrance for followers of Christ that weren't supposed to, to give any attention to idols. And so this is one of the challenges for new believers in Corinth who are saying, How, what do we do when we go and, and we're invited to dinner and somebody offers us meat that's, that's been sacrificed for idols. Well, the fascinating thing is, is that here that God, the Holy Spirit through, through Paul doesn't say, no, 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 can't eat that. He says, don't worry about that. And what's the basis that he's saying don't worry about that on? It's fascinating. See what he says? Why do you not worry about whether it's Sacrificed meat or non-sacrificed meat? He says, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. (laughs) You go, what? The reality that some of this was sacrificed to false gods is there are no other gods. That's all make-believe. That's bogus. You don't need to worry about whether this has been sacrificed to Zeus or Ares or anybody else because it's God's. But, if someone there at the feast or at the dinner party that you've been invited to brings up this, knowing that you're a Christian, oh, so I see, you're going to eat this meat sacrificed to Zeus, but you're not supposed to worship Zeus. Then don't eat. Why? Because our care and concern for other people is to be greater than our concern for what I get to eat. And I'm hungry. And I just, this, this meat smells pretty good. It was barbecued, you know, in just the right way. And I'm hungry. No, think of others. And notice how, how this passage in particular gets to those things. He says uh, in verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many. That, Advantage, some translations have profit or benefit. You see, when God says steal no longer, He's not just talking about not pickpocketing or shoplifting. Certainly, it includes not doing those things, but it's much greater than that. It's you're to think of the other person before you. You're to recognize what God has given them, he has given to them, and not to you. So keep your mitts off of other people's stuff. But more than that, you're to think of the kingdom and to treat other people with generosity. This is what it means to be stewards, to think of God first. And so how, how do we do that? We do that through knowing that our security is in Christ. Scripture says Christ has secured our inheritance. And that while we so often spend our time thinking about stuff as, as trifles, we, we think about the tiniest little things, and you say, well, they don't seem very tiny at the time, Pastor. You know, one of the things that we've been trying to help uh, Adrian, um, uh, Sue's uh, widower, is you know they were living on their joint security, social security, and he's saying, how, "How am I gonna, how am I gonna afford anything?" And so we as a family are coming alongside him and and trying to say, "It's it's not just for you to worry about. Let us share in that with you, and let's take that to Christ." And and it doesn't seem like a small worry when you're thinking about, well, how do I pay rent? How do I afford groceries? If you're if someone just cut your what you get, your income, in half or more overnight, that, that'd be a worry, wouldn't it? Well, yes, but what are we supposed to do as followers of Christ with our worries, with our anxieties? Where do we take our anxiety? To Christ. And, and that's what he's getting at here. Steal no longer is not just don't. Steal in these particular ways but it's so much more than that it's saying take all of your concerns all of your cares all of your needs to Christ because where do you get everything that you get from him and so if you have a need go to him don't try to to manipulate it don't try to, to work it out a different way it's interesting that the Hebrew word uh, here for for uh, steal is is one that's that's taken from the Arabic, and it has this connotation of dealing sideways. There's this there's this element of deceit in our stealing, right? Don't don't try to to make it work somehow that that we can control. No, look to the Lord. That great image of Jehoshaphat before the Lord when the the enemy was attacking Jerusalem. He prayed out and said, Lord, here we are with our wives and children surrounded and we have no idea what to do. But you do. And so into that God speaks and says Jesus has secured your inheritance. He's not just forgiven you of your sin. But when he went to the cross and died in your place and rose from the grave, he rose as the first fruit of the resurrection. And so we can come to him with everything that we need. This is what Christ tells us and shows us. Do you know him in that way? Have you found him to be the faithful God that the scripture shows him to be? If you've not done that before, the first thing to do is to say, what do I do with all my sin? I went went to church today to be encouraged and the pastor told me I was a thief. What do you do with that? See, without knowing that you're a thief, you don't know how much you need Christ. Christ. Jesus died for thieves, like me and you. And so we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I can't get my way out of this. But you tell us in your word that you have. So forgive me, please. And now in the new life that he gives. We we got a great dose of that this morning at the adult Sunday School of how the Holy Spirit gives new birth for those who trust in Jesus. And part of that new birth is you're a thief no longer. Yes, some of you were thieves and murderers and all sorts of things. But now you've been born again. You're a th- thief no longer but a beloved child of God. Let us trust him with all that we have and all that we need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for dying like thieves like us. Thank you for not only forgiving us, but making us new and giving us your family as beloved sons and daughters of the king. We pray all this,